You're listening to This Week in Sports. Here's your host, The Pody. Hello and welcome. It is Friday, May 28th, 2021. I'm your host, as always, The Pody. It is Memorial Day weekend, so happy holidays to everybody. Um, I want to thank all my veterans out there that served in the armed forces or continue to serve in the armed forces because this weekend is to commemorate you, commemorate those lives that have been lost in battle. So thank you to everyone that has served and continues to serve in this great nation and give us the freedoms that we so often take for granted each and every day. Well, that was well said, actually by myself, and I was going to use this as a practice run, but now I might just jump right into it because I don't think I could repeat what I just said. So with that being, um, without further ado, let's talk some sports, okay? So um, number one, I have to get my uh, soundboard on the right wavelength here um, so we could, we could start this show up. Um, Let me move this over. Give me a second here. Okay, good. I want to take this off here. I want to move this over here a little bit. All right. We're good. We're ready to go. We're ready to rock. And we are going to a start. Let me make this a little bit smaller. Oh, come on. It doesn't want to go. All right. I have to manually adjust that. Okay, there we go. Uh, Weekend roundup. Here we go. Let's start with the lefty himself, Phil Mickelson, winning the PGA Championship, becoming the oldest major winner ever. Yes, I did not hesitate. That is not a typo. That is factual information. Phil Mickelson, the lefty himself, the oldest major winner ever. He pulled away from Brooks Kepka early and held on to win by two strokes at Kiowa Island in South Carolina. A beautiful course. Uh, the ocean course is where they played the PGA at, and I'm going to try to get there, if not this summer, sometime in the near future. It's about three hours from um, our place down in uh, Myrtle. I would love to go play there. I checked during the weekend when this was going on, the tournament, for like the first week of June or so, like after the tournament. They wanted $460 to play the ocean course. I think there's uh, four or five courses on the island or so, like 18s. The ocean course being the main one that they played the PGA Championship at. But the other ones were roughly $200-something there, so that's a little bit better. I'm not paying $500 basically with tax to to play a golf course. It's just not happening. So hopefully those prices drop after um you know the the initial couple weeks after this tournament like after it, it, you know it dies down um because a lot of people are going to try to go there so uh Phil started round 4 with the lead i think he dropped a stroke early brooks took the, uh a uh, one stroke lead at minus 7 to uh Phil's uh 6 under par but just three and a half weeks 
around the corner from turning 51. Mickelson passes Julio uh, Burroughs, who won the 1968 PGA Championship at the age of 48 years, 4 months, and 18 days old. So, Phil, officially, by almost three years now, the oldest major winner ever. It's his second Wanamaker trophy. He joined Sam Snead, Raymond Floyd, and Davis Love III as the fourth golfer in PGA Tour history to win in four different decades. He also won the Wanamaker Trophy in 2005, and this is his first major title since the 2013 Open Championship. His last PGA Tour victory of any form came in February of 2019. 2019! That's crazy. Um, Let me cue up this soundbite from Phil himself talking about how he did it. Actually, no, this was, um, excuse me, this was, yeah, this was Phil sinking that final par putt on 18 to win it. Excuse me. Um, It would help if I had my volume up. So let's try that again. Biggest moment of a legendary career. Phil defeats Father Time. Okay, yeah, you can hear everybody chanting his name, Phil, Phil, Phil. You had to see, I'm sure you guys as sports fans were watching this and rooting him on, but um, coming up the fairway on 18, the crowd, I've never seen anything like this. This was Tiger Woods-esque when he won the Masters a few years ago, but the crowds could not be contained by security. They were running onto the fairway. They were just screaming his name. This was like something I've never seen before. This was like boy bandish to to the 10th degree um, because you know how the screaming teenage girls go after like the boy bands and stuff. This was on that level, just people everywhere rushing up behind Phil, like patting him on the back, cheering his name. It was unlike any any scene that we've ever seen before. Um, They were actually on Twitter and other social media. They were likening it to the... Uh, Happy Gilmore movie with Adam Sandler. That's how insane the crowds were. Just unbelievable stuff there. Um, Here was Phil on just what it took to win this tournament and how he did it at the age of 50. Wants to know, what was the biggest bomb and the most hellacious seed you hit this week? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, this is the longest uh, golf course ever played in a major championship. The only way you play well is if you hit bombs in Brandel. I hit bombs. (laughs) Yeah, you hear him there. Uh, He hit bombs, and that's what it took. He hit the longest drive of the day um, on Sunday, a 366-yard bomb off the tee box on, I want to say, 16. One of those holes over the water there on the the ladder stretch um, of holes there, but just unbelievable. Um, Like I said, he led Kepka by one after the third round. He shot a one over 73 and finishes the tournament at six under par. He uh, he won by two strokes over Kepka, who shot a 74, and Louis Oosthuizen, um, who shot a 73. Those two were tied at, at four under for second place. And it's just a shame because there it is, Louis Oosthuizen, um, the South African 
another second place finish. This guy does nothing but uh, he, you know, always a bridesmaid, never a bride. He, this guy can never. If you go and look it up, I don't know off the top of my head, but he's got numerous, numerous, you know, top two, top five finishes in these majors, and he just can never seem to uh, break through and win one. Um, but yeah, just amazing feat for uh, Phil Mickelson, and uh, could not be, could not happen to a nicer guy. And I'm actually surprised that it hasn't happened sooner where guys, um, you know, past their 45-year mark start winning these majors more or just in general winning more on the PGA Tour because you figure the science, the nutrition, everything we know about the body nowadays um, is just so much more developed. And, and, and golf is an old man's sport essentially because it's really the only sport that you can play, you know, and 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 be competitive you know they have the senior tour you could play into your 60s you're not playing baseball competitively at any pro level at 60 years old or, or hockey or basketball like that just doesn't happen most of these sports your careers are over if you're lucky if you're a Vince Carter or a Julio Franco type you can go into your 40s right or your Wayne Gretzky's you can play into your early 40s or Tom Brady's right you can play into your uh, mid 40s Brett Favre did it but to play into your 50s and 60s. It's just incredible. So for a guy 50, almost 51 years old, to get it done, take home the Wanamaker Trophy, just incredible, incredible, incredible. And he did it on one of the toughest courses that you could possibly win it on. This was not a cheapie. The wind was howling. I mean, this was an intensely, um, you know, hard course. And he stepped up and he beat all the young guns. Um, Colin Morikawa, the defending champion, he beat him out. He beat a bunch of these guys out. He holed out from the sand early on, which really gave him that added momentum boost to put him back up by two after he dropped the lead. Um, just, just crazy stuff. So congrats to Phil, and uh, I look forward to seeing him on July 6th in the match four. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Okay, let's talk a little NBA playoffs. Um, I can't really go over every game. I'll give you a breakdown later of you know where the series, uh, each series stands right now. But uh, let's start with the Grizzlies surprising the top-seeded Utah Jazz in Game One. You had Dylan Brooks and Ja Morant combining for 57. Grizzlies uh, going on to hold off the Jazz 112 to 109 on Sunday night. I did not get a chance to watch any of this game live because I had to go to bed. The game came on super super late. Uh, the Grizzlies were up surprisingly. I did watch the highlights, obviously, on Monday morning. Grizzlies were up by as many as 17 in the fourth quarter. The Jazz did fight back, cut the lead to one with six, uh, about six seconds left to go. Um, but Dylan Brooks with the layup, putting the Grizzlies, excuse me, yeah, the Jazz were down three with about six seconds left when um, Bogdanovich missed a contested three for the tie on the final possession. So uh, the Grizzlies do hold on to win that game and, and steal game one on the road. It is worth noting this is a huge one. Donovan Mitchell did not play in game one. Uh, he missed the final 16 games, I believe, of the regular season because of a right ankle sprain. Um, so yeah, that was game one. And then he did come back in game two, and the Utah Jazz did win uh, game two with Donovan Mitchell back. Let me just double check what that final score was that game was on um Wednesday 
yeah, Wednesday, the Utah Jazz ended up winning that game 141-129. to 129. So listen, this is going to be a very good series, um, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what this young Grizzlies team can do against the Jazz because we all know the Jazz had the best record in the NBA, but much like the Suns, we've never seen them win before. So now it's time to put up or shut up and see if these teams can get it done. The Jazz needing 19 three-pointers, um, shooting 48.7% from three to win game two. 141 points, that's a lot of points. The Grizzlies got to bear down on defense a little better, but they were just 34.8% from three, eight of 23, and they did only lose by, um, you know, 12 points. That's that's not bad. Uh, that's That's really... Not bad at all, or excuse me, 11 points. No, 12, they lost by 12 points, my math. My math is bad today. Um, I didn't get much sleep, uh, but 12-point loss for the Memphis Grizzlies, and they head into game three should be tomorrow. Yeah, game three will go back to Memphis tomorrow with that series tied at one apiece. That should be a good series. That could, I could see that going six or seven games. It's going to be a uh, a fun one. Um, but yeah, Grizzlies winning game one, Jazz winning game two. Next up, let's talk game one at MSG between the Knicks and the uh, Atlanta Hawks. This was a very tightly contested matchup between the four-seeded Knicks and the five-seeded uh, Atlanta Hawks. Um, and... This one came down to really one final possession for the win, and that would be courtesy of Trey Young himself. Take a listen. Neil Aquila in the game now defensively on the point. Let's see how they play this. Here is Young. Finds his spot. Young on the floater. Puts it in. Trey Young with a miraculous shot. Wow. What an Incredible play by Trey Young. Defense broke down. Nobody there to help, and Trey delivered. Yeah, Trey did indeed deliver the game winner there. There was like .6 or .9 left on the clock, but uh, the Knicks couldn't get really a shot off, so they dropped game one at MSG. And you guys know, as a huge Brooklyn Nets fan myself, I love to see Knicks misery. This was the Knicks' first playoff game in eight years, okay? And I, nothing gave me greater joy. They kept showing Spike Lee and the fans were, were going nuts. Um, it was an epic crowd there. It's gone from like zero to a hundred really fast. And that's been part of the problem lately in all of sports. I'll get into that a bit later. Um, some rowdy crowds, but they're showing Spike Lee dancing and all the fans dancing on the sideline. I'm like, I tell my friends, please show Spike Lee when they lose this game. And finally, Trey Young hits that game winner, and they show Spike Lee just hands on hips, stunned, can't believe it. He's got his mask on, so you can't really see his facial expression, but it just gave me such great joy, and, um, you know, I, I, I know it's it's petty of me, but I just love it. I love it because Knicks fans are so delusional. This is my year. This is my Brooklyn Nets time to shine. This is dynasty or bust for the Brooklyn Nets, and I just... Oh, I relish in Nick misery. Uh, sorry, Knicks fans. I just do. Um, you did get your revenge in game two, but, you know, back to game one. Um, Trey Young hits the game winner. He capped off his night with 32 points, 10 assists, and seven rebounds with 13 points in the fourth quarter alone. He becomes just the second player in NBA history with 30, 10, and 5 
in his postseason debut, the other being LeBron James. Because remember, guys, this is Trey Young's, this is just his second year in the league. Um, his style of play has drawn the ire of many Knicks fans. Yeah, they hate Trey Young right now. Um, and namely, it's his style of play in the fact that he'll drive past somebody and then stop and, and and basically jump backwards into them looking for a foul. I know he did this earlier in the season against the Brooklyn Nets, and Steve Nash was arguing with the ref that that's not basketball, that's not a foul. Um, he's initiating the contact. Take it for what it is. Um, the refs are on Trey Young's side. They continue to call these as fouls, and on Tuesday – um, one mayor, Bill de Blasio, um, during his media presser, decided to uh, take a few seconds to call out, said Trey Young. This is about basketball. I have an important official announcement. Uh, this is very serious. Want to get this out? Uh, message to Trey Young uh, on behalf of the people of New York City and, and anyone who cares about actually playing basketball the right way. Stop hunting for fouls, Trey. Uh, I want to quote Steve Nash, one of the great player, great coach. He says, quote, unquote, that's not basketball. Trey, Trey, that hawk's not going to fly in New York City. Come on, play the game the right way. See if you can win. I think the Knicks are going to teach you a lesson. So for those of you that don't know, Bill de Blasio, he is a uh, He's basically a D-nozzle, as they use on the Michael K. show, right? Nobody likes this man. Um, but for once, I think New Yorkers can get behind this sentiment because they are in a, they are all in agreement that uh, Trey Young is the biggest villain right now. He's the enemy. Nobody likes his style of play in New York. And they took things to a whole nother level um, the other night in Game 2 which I will cover a little bit later. Um, but, yeah, the hatred in MSG and of Knicks fans for Trey Young has been incredible, incredible. They were the other night, he's at the free throw line, and they're, they're literally chanting at MSG, Trey Young is balding, like at the top of their lungs. And it only got worse from there, but I'm going to save that for a little bit later because it ties into another game um, from Wednesday night. Uh, on Tuesday, the NBA announced a couple of um, awards handed down. Jordan Clarkson won Sixth Man of the Year award. He beat out fellow Jazz teammate Joe Ingles 65-35 in voting in just his second year with the Jazz because if you remember, Clarkson used to be on the Lakers. It's so funny. All these players that are star on the Lakers lately have just moved on and flourished on other teams. Brandon Ingram being one of them. Uh, Julius Randle, another one. D'Angelo Russell, another one. Just Jordan Clarkson. You name it, the list goes on and on. And hey, LeBron didn't want them. He wanted AD, and that's why they traded all these guys away. And it worked last year in a bubble when they won a championship. But again, this is a real season now. Can you win in a full season with fans and not in a bubble. Let's see, LeBron. Um, last night they proved that they still can win. I'll get to that later. But Clarkson, uh, like I said, his second year with the Jazz, he averaged a career-best 18.4 points per game for the number one-seeded Utah Jazz to go with four rebounds and two-and-a-half assists. The other award handed down was Most Improved Player. I don't think this was really any secret. That goes to New York Knicks forward Julius Randle. He received 98 of the 100 votes 
with Detroit's Jeremy Grant receiving the other two. Randall, one of three players to lead their teams in points per game, rebounds per game, and assists per game this season. Uh, no surprise, Giannis and Jokic, the other two. He also becomes the first Knicks most improved uh, winner since the award's inception in 1985. So congrats to him. Well-deserved. A, a great, great season. Okay, let's talk football for a quick second. There's a lot of speculation surrounding the Atlanta Falcons star wide receiver Julio Jones. This got interesting. On Monday morning's Undisputed, they're talking about uh, Julio Jones. He was photographed or seen wearing a Dallas Cowboys shirt. Skip Bayless, huge Cowboys fan, right? We all know that. So Shannon Sharp decided, I'm going to call Julio right here, right now on live television. And this is what happened on said phone call. Take a listen to this. Hmm. You watching Julio? I really hope he answers here. Julio, have the guts to pick up the phone. <laughs> What's happening? Yeah. All right. Julio. Hold on, hold on. Let me put you on I got you. This is your favorite uncle. What's going on, bro? Man, nothing much. Trying to go meet up with my brother. What's happening with you? Man, look. You want to go to the Cowboys, Julio? Or you want to stay in Atlanta? Oh, man. Nah, I'm out of there, man. You He's out, out of there? He's out of there. Are you going to... Ideally, where would you like to go? Uh, right now, I'm just... I want to win. Okay. Yeah. We don't go to Dallas. If you go to... You ain't winning in Dallas, Julio. Uh, you already, you already, man, listen, come on, man. You already know I know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you remind him we're on television? Ask right? him why we're in the Dallas. Listen, sure. listen. You know how people is, man, with all that going right. on with the, the picture? Yeah. yeah. And all that, stuff like that. Okay. Man, I ain't never been on that. You know what I'm saying? Okay. That's good enough. Yeah. Julio, I'll talk to you later. Thanks for calling me back. We on air, but I appreciate you calling me, dog. You know I know my nephew was going to pick up. Oh, yeah, no, no, yeah. I, ain't, I, ain't going, I ain't going to Dallas, man. I never thought about going to Dallas. Okay, I appreciate that, bro. Enjoy the rest of your day. Now he might not yeah. have any choice. <laughs> I told you my uh -huh. nephew's going to pick So there you have it. I don't know that I've ever seen anything like that where they literally just called him up on live television. Julio Jones had no idea he was on live TV, and he just blurts out, oh, I'm – I'm out of there. I'm not staying in Atlanta. I'm out of there. And Skip Bayless obviously wanting to know desperately if he's going to come to the Cowboys because he, as he's alluded to there, um, Julio talked about, you know, the photograph of him with the Cowboys shirt. That's just the media trying to speculate and whatnot. But we'll see what happens with Julio. Um, he says he wants to go somewhere where he can win. Um, but that was like a crazy you know, moment. I've never seen something like that where they just call him up on live television. That could have gone so wrong if he starts cursing and swearing and saying all sorts of stuff. But oh man, he took that with stride and he just he just told it how it was. All right, next up, uh, let's talk a little Aaron Rodgers because we all know since the draft, since Schefter uh, dropped those bombs about how. He played his last game in Green Bay. He wants out. He's disrespected over the Jordan Love pick, how they didn't put him, you know, bring him in the loop on that and didn't tell him they were going to draft him. Um, so here, uh, who, uh, excuse me, 
Aaron Rodgers goes on SportsCenter with Kenny Mayne. So Kenny Mayne signing off for the final time on SportsCenter the other night, and he went on SportsCenter to shed some light on his frustration um, with the Green Bay Packers. Never been about the draft pick, uh, picking Jordan. I love Jordan. He's a great kid. Um, you know, he, he a lot of fun to, to work together. Uh, I love coaching staff, love my teammates, you know, love the fan base in Green Bay. It's incredible, incredible 16 years. It's just kind of about a, a, a philosophy, you know, and, and maybe forgetting that it is about the people that make the thing go. It's about, it's about character. It's about culture. It's about doing things the right way. And a lot of this was put in motion last year, and uh, the wrench was just kind of thrown into it when I won MVP and played uh, the way I played last year. So this is just kind of, I think, uh, the, the spill out of all that. But, look, man, it is about the people, and that's the most important thing. Green Bay has always been about the people. So there you have it. Um, take that for what you will. Believe him or not, I don't know if I do necessarily for the simple fact that he's trying to convince us that it's not about the Jordan Love pick. Okay, it's about a philosophy. So I saw Alex Smith went on um, Colin Coward's show on Fox, and he said that they totally disrespected Aaron Rodgers. Of course, he's going to stand up for his buddy Rodgers there, but I understand what he's saying. When he was with the Kansas City Chiefs, they let him know he was a part of the decision to go ahead and draft Patrick Mahomes. He wasn't blindsided because you're you're not an idiot. When you're at that age, you know what the future holds. You know the team has to move on from you eventually and draft a quarterback. So the funny thing, though, here is that Aaron Rodgers, your best chance to win is if you stay right here in Green Bay. You lost to the Super Bowl champs in the NFC title game. You go somewhere else, you might not get a chance to, to, to do that again. Aaron Jones, great running back, you know, top 10 running back. You have Devontae Adams, top five wide receiver. I mean, you did all you can do. You just got beat by a team that was a little bit better. Some coaching decisions were asinine to kick that field goal, etc. Um, but let's be real. I personally think that Aaron Rodgers is just looking for attention because he that's what he does. He... he He's, you know, set to uh, he's now engaged to Shailene Woodley, who's, you know, superstar actress. He's he's in Hawaii with her, Miles Teller and his wife, Kaylee, and they're just living their best life. Does this look like a guy who's frustrated? Granted, he missed OTAs, but that's to be expected. He just wants them to kiss his ass and to bow down and basically kiss his feet and apologize to him. And at the end of the day, you've heard everyone in Green Bay, okay? You've heard LaFleur. They want him back. They're not stupid. They will do whatever it takes to get him back. So I don't see a situation in which Aaron Rodgers does not come back to the Green Bay Packers and play um, in Wisconsin for the Cheeseheads. That's just, you know, I've been wrong before. I thought Brady would never leave um, New England. So maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he does go to Denver. But as of right now, there is no imminent deal in place to trade Aaron Rodgers anywhere. So it's up. The ball's in Aaron Rodgers' court. Does he sit out or, you know, does he just decide to come back? That's up to him. All right, let's move on. Let's talk a little uh, Mavs Clippers in somewhat of a surprise. The Mavs put the Clippers um, in a 2-0 series hole, uh, Luca put up 39, 7 rebounds, 7 assists, 
and the Mavs held on game two, 127 to 121. This one a little closer than game one's blowout, but the Mavs on the, you know, on the road taking uh, two games, two games from the Clippers. I still like, here's one of my, uh, my, my futures bets that I do like. I do like the Clippers still to win this series at plus 200. I know they're down 0-2. They're in a hole. They play tonight. They're two, two and a half point favorites as of right now for tonight's game. I do like that number. I probably will bet them. Um, I jumped on the uh, DraftKings uh, promo, deposit $500, get five free $100 bets, which expire in like seven days. I probably will jump on the Clippers spread tonight. Um, it's like minus 112. I'm, I'm still debating whether I, I jump on the pregame money line, uh, pregame spreads for them and the uh, Nets, or just wait till that game goes live because if the Clippers get down five to nothing or, you know, it's like 10 to six or something, the line's going to be more favorable towards plus money. So I might do something like that, especially with the Nets. I don't see it being as much of a blowout as it was in the uh, in game two. So looking at those two, but I really love the Clippers at plus 200 to still win the series because I can't fathom. I just can't see the Clippers losing this series. I, I know they're down 0-2, but what is going on with this Clippers team? They're too talented of a team with Kawhi, Paul, George. I mean, they've got pieces around them. They should be way better than they are right now. And, and so if they, it, it's over if they lose this game. I mean, if they lose this game tonight, the series is over and you could kiss this team goodbye. They will blow it up internally and that will be the end of that. So um, let's, let's see. So the Mavs take the 2-0 series lead. Again, this is another series I have really not been able to watch. Um, and surprisingly, the only reason, I mean, not the only reason, but the real the real key to success right now for the Mavs has been their three-point shooting. Through two games thus far, they are shooting 50% from beyond the arc, 35 for 70. Um, that's not going to cut it if you are the... Los Angeles Clippers, they got to do better on defense. And just statistically and just realistically speaking, the Mavs cannot sustain this level of shooting. It just cannot happen, okay? Um, so I think that they will drop down tremendously in their three-point shooting, and then this became becomes a, a, a series again. I think it does probably go seven games, but listen, plus 200 odds right now for the Clippers, it all comes down to tonight. If you want to bet that future bet, take them for the series at plus 200, that's a good payout. Um, but again, you're screwed if they if they go in and they choke tonight. But I think I ride the Clippers and the Nets tonight, and um, I, I, think, uh, I, I think those two get it done. Okay, a little baseball uh, trivia for you. Um, if it weren't for... Um, so, okay, Joe West, right? Probably one of the most well-known umpires of our generation. Well, Joe West on Tuesday night, he uh, etched his name in the record books, becoming the... Um, excuse me, umpiring the most regular season games in history, 5,376. So everybody in baseball knows um, or that's a fan of baseball knows Angel Hernandez, probably the worst Major League Baseball umpire. Well, Joe West is not far behind. He's probably one of the mo more hated guys just because he's getting up there in age. 
He's a big burly guy. He's kind of cocky. He's arrogant. You know, he's not really friendly. And he's made a lot of bad calls over the years, right? Um, whether I'm watching Yankee games or playoff games or you name it. But this man, you can't deny his durability. Um, to ump 5,376 games, do you know how many games that is? So by pers- in perspective, to put this into perspective, he made his debut in 1976 at the age of 23. Okay, he spent the first 23 years of his career in the National League before he switched to uh, the whole league in 2002. I didn't even know that was a thing. I guess early on in the early days, well before I was born, they were relegated to, you know, the different leagues or something. Um, So that's interesting. Bill Clem previously held the record working from 1905 to 1941 in the National League. Um, I don't know who that was, obviously, well before my time. Uh, West has worked notable games such as Willie McCovey's 500th home run in 1978, Nolan Ryan's fifth career no-hitter in 81, and he did Felix Hernandez's perfect game in 2012. I think that was his first and only perfect game. Uh, In April, this was a weird one. Uh, In April, former catcher Paul LaDuca was ordered to pay Joe West $500,000 in damages after he alleged that West took bribes for calls. So I don't know how this came about. Must be a well-known hatred between these two. But yeah, uh, that was an interesting one. And then if you think about some of these numbers, okay, he's appeared in more big league games than Derek Jeter and Ozzie Smith combined. He's been part of as many big league seasons as Cal Ripken Jr. and Bartolo Colon combined. He's umped in 41 seasons. He's worked in uh, games in 51 different ballparks and games involving 67 Hall of Famers. When he debuted in the big leagues, Hank Aaron was still playing. He umpired over 2,000 games before Fernando Tatis Jr. debuted on planet Earth. And honestly, this record he broke on Tuesday may never be broken again. This might be a greater record than Cal Ripken's. And that's saying a lot. So love him or hate him, Joe West is in the history books for the ages. All right, sticking with baseball, let's talk a couple of notable injuries to pitchers, three of them to be exact. Let's start with the Indians and their young ace, Zach Plesak, who fractured his thumb uh, earlier this week or last week. According to manager Terry Francona, he fractured it aggressively, ripping off his shirt. Say what? Yeah, that that is correct. Um, apparently, he was aggressively ripping off his shirt when he caught his thumb on a chair and suffered a non-displaced fracture. Uh, that had to be a little bit frustration, a little bit of frustration behind that shirt rip because Plesak's numbers have not been great. His ERA is over four so far um, in the early goings this season. A weird injury, yes, but sadly we've heard this story before. As you guys will remember earlier this year, Brave starter Huascar Yanoa broke his hand punching a bench in frustration, and A's starter Jesus Lazardo injured his hand playing video games. If you look at other sports, you know, Kerry Wood did this, punched a wall, broke his hand back with the Yankees, I believe. You've had guys like Amari Stoudemire um, in, what was that, 2013 with the Knicks in the playoffs when he punched the fire hydrant and cut up his hand and couldn't play. Um, so, yeah, 
athletes taking it to a whole nother level um, when it comes to injuries. Other injury news, let's talk about the Mets' Noah Syndergaard. He was pulled in the first inning of his rehab start the other day due to elbow discomfort. Of course, we know Syndergaard is trying to make a comeback after Tommy John surgery. He did not play in the 60-game shortened season last year, and he was building up to come back in early June and, and help this rotation of the Mets. Um, but now he will be shut down and it is unfortunate. Six weeks, they are calling this. Um, they will shut him down for six weeks. Luckily, he does not have structural damage to the uh, UCL in his elbow, but it remains to be seen if at all uh, does he come back this season. Um, if they're you know close to a playoff race with the Mets there, maybe they uh, bring him back by mid-August. Who knows? But this is not good news for the Mets or for Noah Syndergaard. And the news only gets worse uh, when you stick with New York and talk my New York Yankees because one week after throwing a no-hitter, his first career no-hitter, Corey Kluber pulled after three innings and 58 pitches due to shoulder tightness. After an MRI on Wednesday, it revealed a subscapular strain in his rotator cuff and he will be completely shut down for the next four weeks, and then he will have to build up his arm strength from there, so he will be out for at least the next two months, and that is um, just very unfortunate, and knowing the Yankees, it will be longer than two months. Um, it's just, uh, it's a joke, the number of injuries to, in today's day and age. It should not happen. You had guys like Babe Ruth drinking beers and smoking heaters and, and, and chewing tobacco and, and just playing hungover and not getting hurt. And now you're telling me every day there's a guy getting hurt. A guy that pitches every five days, doesn't even play every day, and, and, and he's getting hurt left and right. And of course, this is concerning because Kluber pitched all of, what, five innings uh, last year before he went down with a shoulder injury. So, you know, he's, what, 38 years old. Uh, this is not good news. Um, if you are a Yankee fan, uh, the rotation is thin as it is, and the lineup is thin because you've got Luke Voigt, who just went out with an oblique strain. Who knows when he'll be back. They should activate Giancarlo Stanton tonight. That's some good news. But, um, yeah, it's not looking good for the Yankees right now and their pitching rotation. Okay, back to golf real quick. I, I hinted at this earlier. The match four is set for July 6th, and it will officially feature Tom Brady and Phil Mickelson teaming up against Bryson DeChambeau and Aaron Rodgers. I'm a little surprised by this because the last one, of course, you had Brady. Uh, we had Tiger Woods. Obviously, he's recovering from his uh, car accident. Um, Charles Barkley, and it's, it's fun, and you get guys with good personalities. But DeChambeau and Aaron Rodgers, they sort of have somewhat, in my opinion, like dry humor, dry type personalities. So I'm a little surprised that they picked them, but maybe, um, you know, with them being mic'd up and just two on two, they'll have some fun with it and it'll be entertaining. But the storyline here is Bryson DeChambeau versus Brooks Kepka. Because so Tom Brady posted what when the match was revealed, he's like, oh, you've, you've got... Um, you know, the two champions versus, he says, the scientist and the and the Jeopardy host, right? Poking fun at Bryson and, um, and Aaron Rodgers. Well, 
things got a little weird from there because then bright uh then Brooks Kepka tweeted at them and tweeted at Aaron Rodgers and and said sorry bro meaning sorry that you have to like play with this guy for a day or whatever right okay well their hatred for each other goes way back i don't know exactly where it started but I will say this. There's an unaired interview that was making the rounds on the internet after the PGA Championship. Brooks Kepka was being interviewed, and the video doesn't really do it justice. Do I actually? I might have. No, I don't have the video because, yeah, it doesn't really do it justice. But this guy from NBC or whatever, he's interviewing um, Brooks Kepka. He's standing like six feet away from him or whatever in the interview, and he's talking about how, how tough it was to uh, play the course, and he couldn't, you know— uh, hit the ball straight or whatever, or or read read the shots. Whatever he was saying, Brooke, uh, Bryson walks behind him during the interview and whispers something um, like, that's why you, you should just hit the ball straighter. Something to that effect, right? He, he makes a comment. Brooks Kepka gets so freaking like frustrated, he closes his eyes and just takes a deep breath. He ends up saying the F word or something, and then the you know the guy interviewing him laughs, and he's like, "All right, we'll start this over or whatever." But he's basically like, "This frigging guy, I can't, I just, I can't stand this guy." Right. So then Tom Brady took a still image of of that video and created two memes. So you had Bryson walking behind Brooks, and Brooks's eyes are closed, and and he captions. Um, uh, Bryson as it says, happy to be here. And then Brooks uh, under Brooks name, uh, under Brooks picture, it says, um, Aaron Rodgers realizing he has to spend the entire day with Bryson. That's the first one. Then the second one, um, was the same picture and it read the Packers kicking a field goal down seven as Bryson and Brooks with his eyes closed was Aaron Rodgers reaction to said field goal. Um, just classic Tom Brady. Uh, he gets it. You know, he knows how to have fun on social media and whatnot. So, like I said, Brooks then commented on Twitter saying, sorry, bro, to Rogers for having to play with Bryson, right? To which Bryson then responds, it's nice to be living rent-free in your head. So, Phil Mickelson gets in on the fun, and he writes, had some fun, uh, he writes, excuse me, I feel like I'm in the middle of something and should step aside, except they want the current PGA champ. So good stuff right there. Funny, entertaining. Brady also poked fun at his opponents. Yeah, like I said, he set, he uh, captioned the matchup, two champions versus scientists and a Jeopardy host. But so golf was always, you know, the rich white man's game. It was always the very proper sport. Um, there's never been trash talk like this. Like we've seen it in the last decade or so, a little bit. You, you had your Rory Sabatini's and like Sergio and Tiger not liking each other, stuff like that, little things here and there. But we've never seen like, these are, these guys are like frat bros, you know, and they're just going at each other and whether they really do hate each other or they're just putting this on for fodder, for fun, um, you know, for entertain, pure entertainment purposes, who cares? I'm all for it. I love it. The match should be great. I'm sure they'll be talking to Bryson throughout the match. I'm sure Brooks will be tweeting. They'll be relaying the tweets that he's sending in. I'm sure this thing will get really interesting and really fun. So, yes, that set to take place on July 6th. Can't wait. Okay, let's talk uh, Wednesday's night of hoops. You had the Knicks beating the Hawks for their first playoff win in eight years. They erased a 13-point halftime deficit to beat Atlanta 101-92. They tie the series at one as it heads to Atlanta for tonight's matchup in game three. The win was the first for the Knicks in the playoffs since May 16th, 
2013. Go figure. Uh, the Knicks went 7 for 10 from 3 in the third quarter to spark the comeback. Julius Randle, who was just recently named um, most improved player, he was bad. I'm not going to mince words. He was real bad. 0 for 6 in the first half, but he did bounce back with a huge 15-point second half to help uh, push this win for the Knicks through. They needed this. If they lost this game, the series was probably over. Um, So that was a huge win for the Knickerbockers. And let's now talk Wizards and Sixers. The Wizards were blown out by about 25 points. Uh, The storyline here, though, was all about Russell Westbrook as he was leaving the court. So total blowout. Westbrook, you know, turns his ankle or whatever. He's injured, so he's just walking off the court early, headed to the locker room to seek treatment. Well, this this D-nozzle of, of a Sixers fan, as Westbrook is headed towards the tunnel, you know, being led out by security and probably medical personnel and whatnot, right? This fan reaches over the railing and dumps popcorn on Russell Westbrook. Okay, Westbrook was so irate that multiple security personnel had to restrain him from going after this guy. I don't know why they restrained him. Just let him have at this this idiot because there's zero repercussion for guys like this. They could ju- they know they can get away with stuff. They never do that if they saw them in person, and that's to Westbrook's point. So here's a clip of Russell Westbrook talking about because Westbrook has has been at the center of this. And I'm not a huge Westbrook fan, but he doesn't deserve this. He's had racial epithets, you know, slurred at his name in Utah, just many things um, against him. And, and this was no different. So here's his reaction. He's frustrated. He's done. He's over it. Blaming honest, man, this shit is getting out of hand, uh, especially for me. Um, just the amount of disrespect, the amount of just fans is doing whatever the fuck they want to do. It's just it's out of pocket, man. It's out of pocket, seriously. Like, in the other setting, uh, you know, I'm, I'm all for the fans enjoying the game and having fun and, you know, it's part of sports. I get it. Uh, but there's certain things that cross the line. Uh, and any other setting, I know for a fact that fans, and uh, they want to come up and a guy wouldn't come on the street and pour popcorn on my head because he know what happened. A guy wouldn't come up to me and talk mess about my kids and my family on the street because the response would be different. In these arenas, you got to start protecting the players. Man. Yeah, he's absolutely right. The arenas do need to do a better job protecting the players. Um, like I said, this is not the first time this has happened. And guess what? This leads me back to my point about the Knicks game and their hatred for Trey Young because it came out. There is video that a fan tried to spit on Trey Young. The most disrespectful, vile, disgusting thing that a human being could do to another human being is spit on them, okay? Um, And not only did he try to spit on him, he tried spitting over 50 cents left shoulder. Just, there is no, there is no reason for that. And, And here's back to my point. We've been in a pandemic for the past year and a half. They started to slowly open up the stadiums and the arenas for limited capacity of fans. Now they're just all at all at full force. It's playoffs. They're like, we need the fans back. Playoffs, baby. And boom, you've got 14,000 jam-packed fans side by side by side, and they are rowdy, and they are going nuts. It's partly that, and it's partly the fact 
that the Knicks haven't been in the playoffs in damn near a decade, okay? So uh, we know Philly, we know they have a D-nozzle fans. Philly is just known for being um, a, a just terrible place to play, right? You hear all sorts of stuff about Philly fans and whatnot. That's besides the point. But there is no, there is no reason that somebody should be spit on. It's Trey Young just doing his job and playing basketball. Like I said, they're chanting Trey Young is balding. They're chanting F you Trey Young, okay? There's only one instance in my life where I was at a game and the F word was being chanted by all the patrons at the stadium, okay? And that was a Rutgers-Navy game when I was younger, okay? Rutgers happened to be at that point very good. They were like ranked in the country. They were undefeated. And literally the fans, I was in the, uh, the I might've been in the student section at that point before they renovated the stadium and put the student section, um, in the South end zone. But, uh, I just remember, uh, literally F U Navy and they weren't saying F U, they were saying the actual word. Okay. And that was the only time I ever experienced that. And it was like, Whoa, like, first of all, you're screaming at a military Academy. Like that's, just makes it 10 times worse because these people serve our country and fight in wars like after they they leave this place and after they graduate, right? Um, so, wow. The hatred from the New York Knicks fan base towards Trey Young is totally disgraceful and it, it takes away from the win in game two um, because now the Knicks fan base has a reputation. New York fans have a reputation that something like this is going to happen in the future. And this is not, it's not just in basketball. We're seeing fights and brawls erupt in baseball games between grown men. Um, we're seeing, I think there was a 76ers fan um, at an earlier game screaming at, at, at the uh, Wizards or Westbrook or whoever it was. And it, the guy turned out to be a urologist, like an actual doctor. This guy's like 60 years old and he's screaming at the top of his lungs and yelling at a, at a 20 something or 30 something year old player. It's like, where, what happened? Were, were we just all caged animals and we let them out of the, let everybody out of the pound. And this is how we're going to act as a society. It's pathetic. And we need to do something to curb to curb this from happening. Luckily, both fans in the Knicks game and the 76ers game have been banned indefinitely from those arenas. That's a start. They should have been prosecuted, and um, they should have been uh, Westbrook and Trey Young should have been given five minutes alone in a room with both of these two idiots and just let them have at it. For five minutes, just let them have at these guys because there's no repercussion for what they did. And that's why it's going to continue to happen time after time after time. It's not the first time we remember way back years ago with the Indiana Pacers when Ron Artest and the Pacers squad went into the stands after some uh, fans. That's what they should have let happen with Westbrook because it would have put everybody else on notice and they would have been like, whoa we can't say stuff like this anymore and get away with it. And the rest of the Sixer fan base and the rest of the Nick fan base should be disgusted and, and just floored by this. So, yikes. Okay, weird one that I saw last night. Shohei Otani was supposed to pitch last night um, for the Angels. Well, he had a little snafu, a little snag on his ride into the stadium, into the Coliseum, the Oakland Coliseum, because that's where they were playing against the A's. Um, he was on the bus, the team bus, with a bunch of other players, personnel, whatever, and they hit a bad accident or traffic on the Bay Area Bridge. 
okay, or the Bay Bridge. Well, to make up for that, he then tried to jump on the rail system or the train system, which is known as the Bay Area Rapid Transit System. And apparently, according to manager Joe Madden, they there was an issue there as well, which didn't give Otani enough time to go through his routine to pitch because he ended up getting to the stadium at like 5 o'clock. And he usually starts his routine. He's in a groove. He, he now starts around 4 o'clock. Because they got to be careful with Otani because he's had lots of, you know, elbow issues and arm issues since he came over from Japan. And he's still very young. So, yeah, I guess Otani is like the rest of us and got stuck in traffic and couldn't make his start last night in which they they, they ended up losing 5 nothing. Uh, but he will indeed uh, start tonight instead of last night. So they just pushed him back to tonight. Let's see if he has, if that has any effect on him or not. But that was just a weird one that I saw. All right, let's talk about what's on this Memorial weekend. You've got the NHL playoffs. Um, I haven't really watched the NHL playoffs. I'm not a big hockey guy, but I will give you the rundown. Um, I know a bunch of series have concluded. You had uh, Winnipeg, the Jets, they blanked uh, Edmonton for nothing to move on to the divisional finals. You've got the Maple Leafs and Montreal. They're, t- they're um, in a 3-2 battle with Toronto, the one seed up there. They play tomorrow at 7.30. Uh, if Toronto wins, they move on to play Winnipeg. You have, um, you excuse me, uh, Carolina. They won their series over the Predators four games to two, so they move on. And then you had Tampa Bay beating Florida four games to two, so those two teams, Carolina and Tampa Bay, will play each other in the divisional round. You had the New York Islanders local team, right? They uh, they won their series over the Penguins four to two, uh, so they'll be playing Boston, who beat the Capitals um, four games to one. It's funny. Uh, let's talk Capitals real quick because they won the Stanley Cup, what, three, four years ago with Barry Trotz. They immediately fire Barry Trotz. He comes to the Islanders. And what have they done since Barry Trotz left? Three straight first-round exits in the playoffs. So, hey, uh, that's what you get for getting rid of a legendary coach. I don't know why they did it on the heels of winning a championship, but they did. Um, Moving on, you had Colorado Avalanche. They beat St. Louis. They swept them four games to none. And then you have Vegas and Minnesota in a tight. That's a 2-3 matchup. They're tied at three games apiece. That game, games, excuse me, game seven will be on tonight at nine o'clock. So, uh, yeah, some good series going on there. And then, of course, you have the NBA playoffs. Okay, you have uh, the Celtics and Nets. Nets looking for a 3-0 series lead in this one. Didn't really go over this series much. Not much. Not a lot. Whole lot to talk about. Nets won the first two games pretty much easily um then you got Knicks Hawks game three tonight at seven uh that Nets game's at 8 30 Nets currently eight point favorites the uh Atlanta Hawks are five point favorites oh wow I just got a news that Bucks guard Dante DiVincenzo's out for the playoffs he suffered a serious tendon injury in his left foot okay that could be a big blow to the Bucks that that's good for the Nets um because they'll probably play them in the next round um, and then you've got the third game on tonight, Clippers-Mavs. I've already gone over that. I like the Clippers down two games to none in this series. I like for them, this is my lock of the day, is Clippers minus two and a half. Um, if they can't get this done, their season and this franchise is done, and they'll have to blow this whole roster apart. And I don't see that happening, at least not for tonight. So um, interesting, interesting games. I like the Nets. 
I like the Clippers, and this Knicks-Hawks game is a toss-up, but I'll take the Hawks in that game. Um, and then you've got, of course, golf. You've got the Charles Schwab Challenge currently going on. I know Jordan Spieth got off to a hot start, so did Sergio Garcia after the first round yesterday. Right now you have Jason Cockrick. Um, he is leading at 10 under par. Uh, he's 5 under for today through 7. Um, you've got Sergio's right there, 3 back. You've got Spieth, 3 back. Spieth doesn't tee off until uh, 2 o'clock, 2.06 to be exact. Um, Harmon, Streb, Morikawa there at 5 under. So this one's still up in the air. Uh, so, you know, we'll see how that one heads into the weekend. And, of course, you've got baseball um, all throughout the weekend. I didn't even get into last night's games. Let me talk about that real quick. You had the uh, couple really good games last night. You had the uh, Bucks going up 3-0 on the Heat. That series is over. You had the Lakers beating the Suns 109-95. to Chris Paul just been a shell of himself after that shoulder injury in Game 1. It's now the Lakers series to win. And then you had the Nuggets beating the Trailblazers 120-115. to This became the... Um, this became the... Austin Rivers game in the fourth quarter just went absolutely berserk. He finished, Austin Rivers finished with, I think, uh, 21 points, 5 of 10 from 3, but he hit a slew of back-to-back-to-back th- -to -back -to -back trays, and uh, he did it during Dame time when usually Damian Lillard takes over a game. So uh, good for him, good for Austin Rivers. He went about two and a half months without a team after the Knicks let him go in a surprise move, I thought. The Knicks could probably use him right about now, but he's flourishing there in Denver ever since Jamal Murray went down. So the Nuggets now, after dropping game one, they leave, lead that series two games to one. And Lakers, same thing. They lost game one. They now have won two straight, and they lead that series two games to one. And then finally, let's talk a little on this date in sports. May 28th, 2016, Clay Thompson sets an NBA playoff record with 11 three-pointers. He would go on to finish the game with 41 points, helping the 73-win Warriors come back from down three games to two against OKC to force a Game 7. We obviously know they went on to win that Game 7, but then lost to the Kyrie Irving, LeBron James-led Cavaliers. Um, in the finals. Last but not least, I have a public service announcement to Major League Baseball. It's starting to get a little bit ridiculous, okay? Okay, case in point. I'm going to play this clip from a game against uh, Pirates-Cubs yesterday afternoon. Just take a listen. I'll break it down and explain what happened afterwards. That wasn't it. <laughs> Baez hits it on the ground to third. Gonzalez. So good. <laughs> oh my goodness. Wow, you gotta be kidding me. You've gotta be they kidding stole me. a run. You have gotta be kidding me. Javi Baez. Keep going. Go, go. Vicky, you're invisible. El Mago indeed. That is unbelievable. That is incredible. All right, here's what happened. There were two outs in the inning. Javi Baez hits a ground ball to third base with um, runner was on probably second base, right? 
hits a ground ball to third base. He throws over to first. Javi's running to first base. The throw's offline. He sees he's going to run into the tag. So what does Javi Baez do? He starts running backwards towards home plate. There's two outs. All the first baseman has to do is turn and throw the ball to first base if he doesn't want to tag him because he's chasing him for no reason, right? He chases him all the way back to, to home plate, throws to the catcher. Now the runner from second came all the way home, dives headfirst into home. The catcher catches the ball and tries to tag the runner coming in to, to home plate. He's late on the tag, so he's safe. Now Javi Baez runs back towards first. Nobody's covering first. Second baseman's trying to come over. Catcher throws it into the outfield. Javi Baez slides into first. Then he gets up, and he goes into second. The throw is offline yet again, and the announcers are like, just go to third. You're invisible. I mean... How pathetic is this that in Major League Baseball, the players, not only do they not know how many outs there are, they don't know situational baseball, they don't know the game anymore. We're devolving as a baseball society. I coach junior college softball, and I can tell you for a fact that these girls don't understand the game anymore. They don't get it. There are multiple times where somebody with two outs will ground out with a person on third base, say they ground out the third base or shortstop, and they're asking me if the runner coming from third, if that run counts. I mean, this is basic Little League stuff, and you have guys in Major League Baseball not knowing how many outs there are, giving up runs with two outs because of some some boneheaded play, and kudos to Javi Baez. That was unbelievable what he did, Okay. But man, did he make the Pittsburgh Pirates look foolish. Totally foolish. I see it with the Yankees all the time. Nobody knows how to run bases. We reiterate in softball all the time. You freeze on a line drive, right? You're taught this from a very young age. And I spoke about it, I think, last week. You have Glaber Torres on second base with one out and a line drive to second base, and he's standing on third with one out. And what does the guy at second base do? He catches the ball. He turns and he flips to second for an inning-ending double play. There's no, there, there, there's no discipline. I don't know what you have spring training for anymore. If you're not going to go over stuff like this, because that's what spring training is for. You go over you, the pitchers and catchers. They get there before they report before everybody else. They get they go over their situational stuff. They go over bunt defense. They go over how to cover first base, how to step on the you know outer part of the base and go towards right field, you know, so they don't run into the runner. They go over all this little stuff, and that's what spring training is for, to go over situations, to go over base running. We practice base running every single day when we're coaching softball, me, my dad, and our other coaches. That's what we do every day. We Obviously, we hit. We go through fundamentals. We practice how to steal bases. We practice how to flash in. We practice what to do on a line drive. But base running is very, 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 very important because it's sort of one of those things you can only teach it to a certain degree. You have to have a lot of instincts. So we have a lot of times we'll have, for example, a girl who's on first base and there's a ball that's popped up to the outfield somewhere or it's hit in the outfield and they're running back to first base to tag up. And it's like, no, you have to go halfway because if the ball drops in, you have to get to second base. Your only time you're going to go back and tag up is if the ball, say maybe you're a faster runner, the ball's hit deep to center or deep to left field and you could tag up. But at this level, nobody's doing that. 
And then the other one is when you're on second base reading if it's a bloop single. These girls can never read. And you see it in baseball all the time. You got to be able to read if the ball's going to be down. Read where your outfielders are. There's just no discipline and there's zero, zero, zero accountability at the major league level nowadays. Zero. And this is what is turning off players and fans like myself and old timers from watching the sport that, that, that they grew up loving. It's the national pastime for a reason. But you have former uh, Hall of Fame players saying that they can no longer watch the sport anymore. That says volumes about where baseball is heading. And it starts at the top with Rob Manfred. You wanted to do, oh, let's do the, uh, you know, start the extra innings with a runner on second base and, and seven inning double headers. This is not what baseball fans want to see. We don't want to see a sped up game, okay? Because if a game goes 20 innings, that is excitement that I want to see. I don't want to see a game go nine innings and it's 0-0 with 20 strikeouts because sometimes that's what I'm witnessing. I'm witnessing Carlos Rodon strike out the Yankees 13, 14 times. Max Scherzer do it the next night. Strikeout after strikeout after strikeout. This is what baseball is becoming, and it is bad for the sport, and I can't stand to watch it. I will never coach this way. I will never, never, never cave to this analytical, sabermetric style of, uh, of play because that's not what the sport is. Whether it's baseball, whether it's softball, whether it's Little League, you name it, that is not okay. And quite frankly, it doesn't work. It just does not work. If you don't know fundamentals of the sport, you're in trouble. You are in trouble. You can only get so far hitting home runs, okay? You can only get so far striking out 250 times a season. Look at Joey Gallo, for example. The guy shouldn't even be in the major leagues realistically because if this was 50 years ago, he would be working in a coal mine somewhere or, or working at a supermarket. He would not have a job in baseball. And he might be a smart guy. I'm just throwing those out as examples because um, I'm just to make the point, he would not be a baseball player because Joey Gallo is a guy that consistently hits 200, but oh my God, he could hit 30 to 35 to 40 home runs a year and drive in 100 runs. And he, I'm just throwing him out as an example because I know he's done it before. You've got other guys that do it. Guys consistently, year in and year out, can't hit over 250. Look at the Yankee roster right now. Let me. I'm going to pull up the Yankee roster right now, and I'm going to tell you what every guy's batting average is on this team. Are you ready for this? Every guy's batting average on the New York Yankees. Aaron Judge batting 307, and that's only because he's probably played in very few games. You got Stanton batting 282. He's been on the shelf for a while now. You've got Tyler Wade. He's not an everyday guy batting 281. Gio Urshela is the only everyday player on here that's batting over 275. He's batting 277, and that's respectable, but come see me in August and September if his average is, is down to 260. Or 250, you know? But Urshela, career-wise, actually has a decent average in his career. Um, yeah, he's got a career 273 batting average, so he's just a tick over that mark. But, I mean, this is a joke. And there's other teams out there where guys are not batting. You know, the, the whole Mendoza line was, you know, everybody, you'd make fun of them. You make fun of guys. Oh, he's not above the Mendoza line, which is 200. 
but it's it's not a joke anymore. This is actually serious. Guys consistently cannot hit over 200 anymore. And baseball, this I don't know how anyone could look at this. A Rob Manfred could look at this and think this sport is succeeding right now because it's not. Look at the demographics. Nobody's watching the sport. I mean, maybe fans are starting to go to the games once again because we just had a pandemic and they just want to get the hell out of the house. And now that they're opening up stadiums and arenas, it gives them something to do. But they're not enjoying themselves when they're at these games. These guys will... You got kids, they're probably looking at TikTok and they're not paying attention to the game. And, you know, it's bad for the sport. And I I don't want to rant for too long because this... This episode is pushing the 108 mark, but that's it for the day. Um, I'm going to go watch some some Junior College Division Three National Championships. I've uh, been watching that since yesterday. Um, that's exciting. There's games on every day. It concludes tomorrow. So I'm going to go watch that after I get this edited and thrown up, hopefully by about 2, 2.30. I'll get this podcast up and running. But once again, I just want to say have a great, Um, exciting, happy Memorial Day weekend, everybody. Um, I'm looking forward to the next few days off. I was off today. I'll be off Monday as well from work. So that's exciting. Maybe I'll get, I'll get some, uh, golfing in this weekend as well, but I'm just looking forward to, uh, some me time, some rest and relaxation, and hopefully the weather is nice. I know. I I think that's the problem. I think the weather is supposed to be very crappy this weekend, at least here in Jersey. It's supposed to be mostly rain. Yeah most of this weekend. So we'll see what happens. Um, But everybody, take care. Have a happy, healthy Memorial Day weekend. I'm the Pody, signing out.